to read the Lord's Prayer out loud together, if we could, there in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with the word, Our Father, found in verse 9. That's where we want to begin this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, uh, beginning with Our Father. Are you ready? Have you found your place? Let's read it out loud together, shall we? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let me open in a word of prayer. Blessed Heavenly Father, you who know our hearts, you see our down-sitting, our uprising, you see our thoughts afar off. We want to know you so much better, and your word helps us with that. Help us in this hour, not just to grow to know you more, but to love you more as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are only 66 words here in the Lord's Prayer that we just read. But it's the most well-known prayer in all of Christian history. Listen to the words of a man named Bishop Ryle. Bishop Ryle, he wrote this, and I quote, regarding the Lord's Prayer. These verses are few in number and are soon read, but they are of immense importance. No part of Scripture is so full and so simple at the same time as these. It is the first prayer which we learn when we are small children. That is its simplicity. It contains the germ of everything which the most advanced saint can desire. Here is its fullness. The more we ponder every word it contains, the more we shall feel it is a prayer of God. This prayer is at the very heart of who our God is and what He longs for His children to be. So today I want to tackle four simple words at the beginning of this prayer, those words being, Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. So let's turn our attention at this time to those final four words found there in verse 9. Hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? Hallowed be thy name. We've all said it. We've repeated it over and over again throughout our lives. However, I'm wondering, do we really understand what they mean? What does it mean when we pray, hallowed be thy name? You know, as a Bible-believing Christian, I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself. I need more than simply a surface understanding of the Scripture. I'll tell you why. Have you ever experienced that awkward moment 
when you are challenged by an unbeliever or when you're striving to disciple a new believer and you find yourself ill-equipped to give a Bible answer to a legitimate question that is asked. Someone once said that the best way to learn is to become a teacher. The best way to learn is to teach. I'm not suggesting that teachers should be unprepared or ill-prepared. In fact, it is the preparation for teaching that enables an educator to learn far more than his audience. And teaching is an outstanding profession. I speak from experience. It's an awesome responsibility that many of you have occasion to experience yourself. So let me give you a case in point. I came to a much better understanding of those four words, hallowed be thy name, through my personal study for this lesson right here. And it's the beauty of this study that had an impact upon my own prayer life, and more importantly, upon my understanding of an ever-present need for me to reveal Jesus Christ in and through my life. Now, it's interesting to me that from the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, we are drawn back to the first three commandments that you and I read in the Decalogue, which is the Ten Commandments. You know the first three commandments, right? Number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. But then you come to number three, the third commandment, and it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, in order to avoid taking the name of the Lord God in vain, we're going to need to understand what it means, hallowed be thy name. You may have never thought there's a relationship there, but you're going to see through this lesson what that relationship is. So here's what I want to do. Hallowed be thy name. I want us to look at the meaning of two words in that line, hallowed be thy name. I want us to study the word hallowed. Then I want us to study the word name. And then we're going to look at the implications of how that's to be fleshed out in our lives. Hallowed be thy name. Let's talk about the meaning of that word hallowed. Hallowed. Hallowed is translated from the Greek word Hagiastheto, and the root is the verb hagiadzo. In the adjective form, that word hallowed means holy. So I don't want you to get lost in all that I'm going to explain right now. And if you are like me and you have a simple mind and you say, Brother Pat, just tell me, what does that word hallowed mean? It means holy. Just write that word holy next to hallowed and you'll have a correct understanding of that word hallowed. But in addition to holy, hallowed means sanctified or set apart. That's the adjective form. Holy, sanctified, set apart. In the verb form, hagiadzo means to make holy. Now we're talking about action, to make something holy, to set something apart, to consecrate something. All right? 
When you think of Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that's Hagia, that's a Hagias Numa. Holy Hagias Numa Spirit. Let's turn to a Greek authority I like to study from. Uh, he's with the Lord now, but his name was Spiro Zodiades. And Zodiades provides a very telling, a very interesting definition of this Greek word, hagiazo. And I want you to see how this definition provokes the thought of separation. Let me quote Zodiades. He says, regarding hagiazo, it means to withdraw from fellowship with the world by, by first gaining fellowship with God. Can I quote that again? To withdraw from fellowship with the world by first gaining fellowship with God. I don't know about you, but that's exactly what happened to me when the Lord changed my life. I left the world because Christ changed my life, came into my life. That definition is a revelation to all of us of what Paul is teaching, Pauline theology. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. I'm going to turn to a liberal scholar and give you a quote right now. <gasps> a liberal? Why would you quote a liberal, Brother Pat? Well, when they say something right, I can agree with it. And this is what I agree with as stated by William Barclay. William Barclay was a liberal, but he said this, and it was, he was right. He said, a thing which is hagias, remember that's the Greek word for holy? A thing that is hagias or holy is different from other things. And then he gives three examples. And this is what you learn in first year Greek when you're in seminary or Bible college. A temple is hagian or holy because it's different from other buildings. The Lord's Day, that's today. The Lord's Day is hagias, or holy, because it's different from other days. A priest is hagias, or holy, because he's separate from other men. Now, our biblical justification for living separated lives is the fact that our God is holy, and he's commanded us to be holy, and I think we quoted this verse or something similar to it in the first part of Sunday school. 1 Peter 1.16, the Bible says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. A contemporary Bible scholar, you've probably heard of before, John MacArthur, said, and I want to quote him, When we pray those four words, Hallowed be thy name, we are attributing to God the holiness that already is and always has been supremely and uniquely his. Therefore, to hallow God's name is to revere, honor, glorify, and obey him as singularly perfect. So a more literal translation of the phrase, hallowed be thy name, would be this. May thy name be held in reverence. We're talking about revering the name of God. Okay? So... Quick quiz, easy quiz. Hallowed. Give me one word to define that word hallowed. Another one. Another one. Holy. You're doing great. 
okay? Let's go to the word, the, the word name now, okay? Hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? Well, when verse 9 here says, hallowed be thy name, the Hebrew word for name does not refer to the common name like, take for example the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're not talking about one of those names, common names, Pat, all right? In Hebrew, that word name, the name, means the nature, the character, the personality of the person insofar it is known or revealed to us. I want you to think of these words. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 910. And they that know thy name, speaking of God, they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. So in that verse, we learn those who know what God is like, those who know the nature and character of God are the ones who put their trust in God based on who God is. Remember the words of the psalmist in this verse, Psalm 20, verse 7? Some trust in what? Chariots. Some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And therefore, when we pray, hallowed be thy name, it means enable us to give thee the unique place, the unique glory which thy nature and character deserve and demand. All right? Now, in biblical times, a person's name revealed something about that person. It was a form of self-revelation. Uh, one of the most famous encounters in, in all the Bible involving self-revelation was when Moses saw God in the burning bush. And for that, we go back to uh, Exodus chapter 3. Can you turn in your Bible with me back to Exodus 3? Let's review some uh, Bible story time here. Exodus chapter 3, and I want us to uh, focus on Exodus 3, verses 13 to 15, and I'll prepare you for that. And let me just read for us some verses to set the scene, Exodus 3, and you'll get the context. Uh, Exodus 3, verse 1. I'm going to skip through some verses here. Verse 1 and 2, I'll read those. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. That's notorious, isn't it? Jump to verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Verse 8, And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good and large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Verse 10, Come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, 
that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now we come to our text that I want us to focus in on. Verses 13 and 14. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, notice this, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I want you to look at those words, I am that I am. What does that mean? Well, those words, I am, that I am, are the very characters of the Hebrew word that spell out the name Yahweh. And it's the form, it's in the form of a tetragrammaton. No vowels, just four consonants. Y-H-W-H. That's a tetragrammaton. And the tetragrammaton that you see here appears over 6,000 times in the Bible. Those Hebrew scribes were very careful to neither say out loud with their mouth nor to fully spell out the holy and sacred name of God, Yahweh. Instead, they would put it in these capital letters and say with their mouth, Adonai. But they put the vowels of Adonai into the consonants of Yahweh, and you get this word, Yahuwah. Yahuwah, which Christians translate as Jehovah. And today, anytime a translator wants to acknowledge where YHWH is in the original Hebrew text, they use the word Lord in all capitals, L-O-R-D, in our English Bibles. So essentially, in Exodus 3, God was saying this to Moses. Moses, you've asked me who you're supposed to tell them has sent you. You tell them it is the only eternally self-existing infinite being in all the universe that has sent you, Moses. You represent him. I am has sent you. You tell them that. So I hope you understand those words, I am, refer to God as the eternally self-existent infinite being of the universe. And that's who Moses represented to Israel. Have you ever begun your time of prayer other in another way than saying, Blessed Heavenly Father? Have you ever thought of saying, Blessed I am? Sometimes I'll begin prayer, I'm all alone with God, and I'll say, Oh, beloved rock of God, or beloved ancient of days, I'm just alone with him and he's alone with me. Say, Brother Pat, why would you begin prayer 
by referring to God the Father that way. I'll tell you why. Because it strikes at the root of human unbelief and distortion of who God is. And that's why when we refer to God by His attributes, it reminds us of who He is. Earlier, I mentioned the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We must understand that the opposite of profaning God's name is hallowing it. We hallow God's name by the way we honor God with our life. And as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we're called to be salt and light. And in the next hour, that's what I'm going to be preaching about. Our influence as salt and light in the world. So as we fulfill that role, we give an unbelieving world a proper perspective of who God the Father is. I want to now put the rubber to the road and share with you the manifestations of hallowing God's name. I want to do so by referring, first of all, to an existing Bible scholar, Dr. John MacArthur, who I quoted earlier. I want to quote again because he gives us three ways in which we can hallow God's name. First of all, we hallow God's name when we acknowledge that he exists. You remember Hebrews 11.6? It says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, I quoted a liberal Bible scholar earlier, Barclay. I'm going to do it again. (laughs) I'm going to refer to the words of Immanuel Kant. Immanuel Kant was neo-Orthodox. But he said something that was correct, and I I quote Kant. He said, the law within us, what do you think that's referring to? Our conscience. The law within us and the starry heavens above us drive us to God. That's true. The law within us, the starry skies above us, draw us to God. You know, we cannot honor, we cannot revere or declare as sacred a God whose character and will we do not know or do not care about. So, in order to hallow God's name, I need to get to know God. I need to get to understand who God is in order to hallow his name. Now, there's another way we hallow God's name. When we invoke the thought of God in every thought, word, and action throughout our day. Can I tell you a story? Back in 1983, the summer of 1983, I was in seminary. But of course, during that summer vacation, I was helping my future brother-in-law. That's Mary's oldest brother. I didn't know I was going to marry Mary at that time. We weren't even dating. But her oldest brother and I were in seminary together. And he offered me an opportunity to work with him in starting a church in a northwest suburb of Chicago that summer of 83. And Dan, that's his name, Dan Ryan, he had a little piece of paper or a three-by-five card taped on the dashboard of his car that said these words, practice the presence of God. 
Let me ask you, is God in all of your thoughts throughout the day? You say, why does that matter? Because spasmodic thoughts about God do not hallow his name. Dr. John MacArthur says this, to truly hallow God's name is to consciously draw him into every daily thought, every daily word, and every daily action. In other words, you need to have God on your mind all the time. Third way to hallow God's name. We hallow God's name when our lives are conformed to the image of his will. Now, to live in absolute or outright disobedience to the will of God is obviously to take God's name in vain. So often we think of taking God's name in vain in terms of something I say with my mouth. However, since we call ourselves Christians, little Christ, Christians, that's what Christian means, little Christ. It's through our behavior that a watching world is to see Christ with shoe leather. You agree with me? When people look at me, when people look at Brother Umstead, Brother Eddie, Sam, all of us who call ourselves Christians, they should see a living image of God. That's letting our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Now Paul raised the bar for hallowing God's name when he said this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, how? Do all to the glory of God. Finally, when through our commitment to Christ we draw others to the Lord. We lead someone to the Lord. We, we bring them into this fellowship. We're hallowing God's name. Psalm 34 and verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Let me turn to another Christian Bible scholar. He's with the Lord now, Ray Stedman. He, for 40 years, pastored a Bible church out in Palo Alto, California. He was an author, preacher, and he shares the negative implications from failing to hallow God's name. We all know this truth, that the closer we get to the light, meaning God, the more our sin is exposed, right? The more I get to know the words and truth of the word of God, the more sinful I see myself. Amen? And Ray Stedman wrote this, and I quote, This petition, and he's referring to hallowed be thy name, makes hypocrites out of most of us. What does he mean by that? He says, for we can say Father with grateful sincerity, but when we pray hallowed be thy name, we say this with a guilty knowledge that as we pray, we know there are areas of our life that are not hallowed. In fact, truth be told, there are areas of our life that we really don't want to be hallowed. It's the same thing we find in that prayer of David 
Remember these words in Psalm 1914, where we read, Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That is praying, hallowed be thy name. What are we saying? We're saying as sinners, we have a natural tendency to reserve certain areas of our life for ourselves. In other words, we think like this, God, you can have this part of my life, you can have that part of my life, but in terms of this part right here, I want to keep that to me personally, just, just me alone. You know, sometimes that happens when the name of someone else means more to us than the name of God. It could be a teacher, our mate, a boss, a special friend. How do you deal with that? Pray like this. Lord, I want to open up to you right now the closet of my heart. I want you to pull out every skeleton hanging on a hanger and dry clean it with your Holy Spirit. Hallowed be thy name. Does that sound a little bit intimidating to you? It does to me. This prayer, hallowed be thy name, is a cry of helpless trust in which we find ourselves saying, Father, not only do I know that there are areas in my life right now that your name is not hallowed, but I also know that only you can be the one who hallows them. And I am quite willing to simply stand here and stand still and let you have your will and way in my life for your glory. So when we say, Father, there's no area of my life that I'm not willing to let you talk to me about there's no area that I'm going to hide from you, whether that be my sexual life, my business life, my social life, my school life, my recreational life, or my vacation time. It's all yours, Lord. So when we genuinely, genuinely pray, hallowed be thy name, we're going to discover that God is willing to walk into the darkest part of our soul and clean it up, straighten it out, and make it fit for his dwelling. Let me ask you as I close. Can you pray, hallowed be thy name? I want to close with the words to a song entitled, Make My Life an Alleluia. I think this song sums up what I've just taught in the lesson. Here are the words to the first verse of that song. Make my life and alleluia, a song of praise to you each day, to proclaim your grace and glory, fill my heart with your praise, I pray. When I stand at the mountaintop or the valley of despair, this will be my cry, my song, my prayer. Lord, make my life an alleluia. Hallowed be thy name. <sighs> Beloved, I am. You are our heavenly Father. No one is as holy. No one is as loving. No one is as gracious. No one is as patient. No one is as kind. No one is as forgiving as you, O oh God.
Your challenge is that we are to be like you. Oh God, we need your help. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness. Draw us closer. Work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.